Today I'll be reading different passages from Proverbs. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Wisdom is too high for a fool, and the gate he does not open his mouth. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Planning. In our annual calendar, we have two seasons which invite us to plan. The beginning of the school year in September and the beginning of the calendar year in January. So what are your plans for the coming year, for your schooling, your work, your business, your family? If I asked you what your desires were for the coming year, many of you would answer with the following. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to make more money. I want to do well in school. Others would be a little more spiritual. I want to grow in prayer. I want to understand the Bible. I want to have meaningful relationships. But many of us would not have a plan to see those desires fulfilled. When we plan, we imagine some future outcome, usually positive. We then determine how we will get there. That is, we choose the strategies we will employ. And then we set goals, often referred to as SMART goals, which tell us how far we will go in what time frame. SMART is just an acronym for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Time Sensitive. Those goals are then supported by a tactical plan, which gets into the nitty-gritty of planning. Who will do what? When will it be done? What are the supplies needed? And so on. For example, have you noticed how people plan and prepare to climb Mount Everest? If we're going to a mountaintop, We need to determine how we will get there. Will we hike, ride an off-road motorcycle, or fly in a helicopter to the top? Then we need to determine which route we will take and how far we will go each day. And then we need to know who will lead the group, uh, who will carry the food and water, what kind of climbing gear is needed, and what kind of physical training is needed in preparation. You cannot make a significant climb without planning. Why do some of us just love to plan? Well, one, it helps us imagine what will happen in the future, and we live with more anticipation. Two, it helps us accomplish more in the time we have. Our time is limited, so we're more focused on our priorities. Three, for some, it's just plain fun to plan. And fourthly, for some of us, 
it makes us feel like we have more control over our destiny. We feel like we, we make the decisions. We make the choices rather than letting others decide for us. Why do some loathe planning? Well, some fear that their plans will always fail. Some fear the accountability that comes with planning is just onerous. Three, some fear that the plan will constrain them. They want the freedom of going with their feelings in the moment. Four, some fear that their planning will actually limit the work of the Holy Spirit. For them, planning is just a human exercise that hinders their sensitivity to, their lead, to the leading of the Spirit in the moment. So what does God think about planning? The thesis of this sermon is that we should plan. The only question is how. What does Proverbs teach us? First point, remember God has a sovereign plan. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In these verses, the word plan means to envision, to carefully set things in order, to strategize for action. Some, unfortunately, understand this proverb to mean, well, if we try to plan, God will undo our plans. A few years ago, I officiated a wedding for a young woman who planned her wedding day for the day in August when it was least likely to rain. It was to be an outdoor wedding. What happened? Her wedding day was the one day in August that it rained that year. And some would say, see, there's no point in planning. The purpose of the Proverbs we read is not to discourage human planning, but to encourage us to live with a certain perspective. We can and we should formulate plans, but we must remember that God decrees what will endure and form part of his eternal purposes. This acknowledgement leads us to the humble recognition of our own limitations. To claim to know where our life course is heading is presumptuous and even dangerous. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. The word tomorrow there refers to our most immediate future. If the future we can see is not under our control, how much less the distant future that we cannot see. So we must not be overconfident concerning our future. God has the last and soundest word. We're deluded if we believe we can impose our will on every situation and always make our will a reality. Remember Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria? He gathered his whole army for battle to attack and plunder the small northern kingdom of Israel. Thirty-two other kings joined him. He bragged that he would defeat and plunder Israel easily. The king of Israel, Ahab, responded with a proverb, 1 Kings 20, verse 11. Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. In other words, brag after winning the battle, not when you're preparing for it. With God's intervention, the Israelite army soundly defeated the Syrian army. 
human culture often leads us to one of two extremes. One, a world where we have complete freedom to determine our destiny, or a world where our destiny is completely determined. In North America, we're often encouraged to believe that the future is what we make it. We have total freedom. Our destiny is set by our choices. Now, do we really want a universe fixed by our unwise choices? We're so limited in our understanding. Do we want our lives to be determined by our bad choices at 15, at 25, 35, or 45? On the other hand, in some parts of the world, it is believed that every circumstance is determined by fate. There is no freedom. Do we want a world where we have no free will, no ability to decide and participate? God, in his infinite wisdom, holds together his sovereign plan over all things and our human freedom. Then secondly, we must remember to plan in light of God's wisdom. Here's a caution. Proverbs 16, verse 2, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The word spirit refers to our motives. We humans tend to think that our ways are right. Let's be honest, we do. That's why we do what we do. We tend to justify our thoughts and actions. Because we can so easily deceive ourselves, our self-perception needs to be weighed in light of God's perception. Why? Proverbs 16.25 There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What seems to be the right path of life may actually lead to dire consequences. It appears to be straight and easy, but it's actually crooked and laced with death. Jesus, he spoke of the wide, easy way leading to death in his Sermon on the Mount. The safety and destiny of a road are not always as they appear. We can easily deceive ourselves. For this reason, we need God's help to discern our motives and evaluate our life path. Proverbs 29, verse 18, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. The word vision there, it describes the revelation experience of the prophets. Some commentators believe the proverb refers to both the law of Moses and prophetic words. God's revealed word then provides a vision for life, a framework for decision making. Those who know God's word and follow it are truly blessed, happy. This proverb, it tells us that without this revealed wisdom from God, the people become discouraged. They fall into anarchy. They run wild. They fall into a, a desperate situation. Only the all-knowing, all-wise God knows the true road that leads to life. It's beyond our finite human understanding. We all depend on God to unveil the straight path. Here are two things to remember. First, it's indispensable in our day to have an understanding of God's ultimate all-wise plan, the story that he is writing from the beginning, creation, to the fall of humankind, to the first coming of Christ, his incarnation, to the second coming of Christ, consummation. 
We need to understand God's priorities and values. We need to know where history is going and then plan in light of that larger story. In March 2020, when we went into lockdown in B.C., our Willingdon church plans were altered overnight. We had to revisit our church ministry philosophy, our vision, mission, and values, and ask ourselves whether or not it was still valid. And we came to the conclusion that it was more valid than ever. We just needed to live it more fully. Why was it still valid? Our church ministry philosophy has enduring value because it is grounded in the biblical story, God's vision, his mission for the church, his values. We just needed to change our methods, go online, and do almost everything virtually. God's wisdom endures and is solid in every season of life. If you want to grow in your understanding of the biblical story, I would encourage you to enroll in a discovery class or a Willingdon School of the Bible and ministry class. Second, it's indispensable in our day to have a living relationship with God, to know Him and and walk with Him. More about this in a minute. For now, let's remember that we need to surrender our lives completely to God's wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The word commit means to roll over onto. The thought is not that we submit our plans to God, pray for him to honor our plans, and then expect him to establish them. Rather, we begin by rolling over onto God and trusting him completely. We ask God to grant us his wisdom for life, his perspective, his plan, his priorities. We study his word, cultivate a deep relationship with him, and then plan accordingly, acknowledging his sovereignty over all things. Our confidence is not grounded in our knowledge of the future or our wise planning, but in God's sovereignty over all things. As we live in this way, we become wiser and wiser. It's a life journey. Maybe we are disappointed with this counsel. We don't want a long-term growth plan. We want revelation right now to know where we should study, who we should marry, which house to buy, which job to take, the person to hire. God can provide specific guidance by his spirit in the moment. But he's much more interested in forming us into wise people. You know, Satan is happy to give us quick advice through our horoscope or tarot cards or a medium. He has no interest in us becoming wise. But God wants so much more for us. He has a much bigger, grander, all-encompassing plan for us. God wants us to become wise more than he wants to give us specific guidance in every little situation. Why? Because wisdom is grounded in a personal trust relationship with him. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is to know God and be experienced in his ways. God has a journey of learning for us, of being shaped into his image, learning to see as he sees, and becoming wise. 
If God's wisdom has become a part of us, we'll be able to cope with the enigmatic, with adversity, and with the unexpected. And this leads us to our third point. Remember, God can use the unexpected for his purposes. David, he shared his good plans to build a temple to God with Nathan the prophet. This is 2 Samuel 7. But God revealed to Nathan the prophet that he did not want David to build the temple. It was also revealed that one of David's sons would build the temple. David submitted to the word of the Lord and spent much of the rest of his life preparing things for his son to build the temple. This awareness of God's sovereignty and his human limitation put David in a place of prayerful submission and peace. When his seemingly good plans were altered, he acknowledged God's deeper plan at work. And interestingly, it was at this time that God established David's line as a permanent dynasty in Judah. As Pastor Brody so aptly said a few weeks ago, humility puts God before us. It puts his plans before ours. And then we need to observe one more thing here. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Sometimes we do not plan because we feel that our life is just out of control or that evil is winning the day. Some of us may be saying to ourselves, how can I plan today? Everything has been turned on its head. COVID-19, the fourth wave, the heat waves, the wildfires, climate change, a society without a moral compass. How can I plan life when, when life is so uncertain and the path appears to be so crooked? It might be helpful to remember the experience of the Israelite people in exile. They had been taken from their homeland by the Babylonians, new land, new culture, new language. Their world had been turned upside down And what was God's word to them? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. God encouraged them to plant gardens, marry, have families, build homes, and seek the welfare of their city. All of that took trusting God, rolling over onto him, and planning. God can even use evil for his purposes. Do you remember the story of Joseph? He was receiving dreams of greatness. He was the father's favored son. Out of anger and jealousy, his brothers sold him into slavery. In Egypt, even though he served Potiphar really well, he found himself unjustly thrown into prison, forgotten. It certainly appeared that God's plans for him were over. Yet God was accomplishing his purposes. The proud Joseph needed to be humbled. God had a plan to establish him as a leader in Egypt. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, the people of Israel would have eventually suffered famine. Joseph lived Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God is not surprised by COVID-19. 
the heat waves, the wildfires, the federal election, or the moral problems of our day. He is sovereignly guiding history. When we consider the uncertainties of our time, we may need to alter our vacation plans, study plans, career plans, energy consumption, and so on. But more importantly, we need to understand God's larger plan and what our role is in this time. What are God's priorities? What does it mean to be Jesus' disciples in our day? This will be our focus in the fall sermon series. Perhaps it is important to note one more thing here. So fourth, remember God hates evil planning. Some might think that God's ability to use evil for his purposes justifies evil action. Much to the contrary. Proverbs 6.18 lists among the things the Lord hates a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. God can use evil for his purposes, but he hates wicked plans. He opposes them. During election campaigns, we see information being manipulated. Political advisors are scheming. Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Evil, deceitful planning leads to social disintegration, always. Evil planners bring harm to themselves and to others. Evil planners may even win an election, but there is something they will always lack, joy. Those who plan for good always meet God's steadfast love, kindness, faithfulness, the blessing of relationship with God and his people. They are on the path of life, Proverbs 14, verse 22. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. It is the unwise who trade the peace, goodness, joy, love, and faithfulness of God for a short-term win. Wise planning will always work within God's sovereign plan, work within his wisdom, work toward a virtuous outcome, and will only use strategies that are fair, honest, good, and kind. To work in this way, Proverbs encourages us to, point five, plan with good counsel from wise people. As Pastor Jordan said a few weeks ago, we need wise guidance from wise people who are grounded in the counsel of God. Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. The word guidance, it carries the image of a sea captain guiding a ship using ropes on a stormy sea. The ropes were used for raising the sails, lowering the sails, turning the rudder. We all need help to navigate the new seasons of life, the new oceans we sail, and the unexpected storms of life. So how do we get God's navigation system? Proverbs chapter 24 Verses 3 to 6. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. In these verses... The words wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are used synonymously. The lines build on one another. 
In order to build a house, to establish it with a solid foundation and fill its rooms for specific purposes, you need to have God's vision for life. The word house there, it may refer to a physical house or a household, but the proverb can actually be applied to any life endeavor. Building a relationship, a marriage, a family, a career, a business, a church family, a nation, and so on. To build requires masterful understanding. Returning to the story of the young woman who planned to get married outside on a sunny day in August. God was much more interested in a strong foundation for marriage and a home, which she and her husband had, than a sunny wedding day. In Proverbs 3, God builds the cosmos by means of his infinite wisdom. We are to be like him. The microcosm of our homes should be built as God built the macrocosm of the universe. Now, no one has all this wisdom. No one has all the life experience necessary to build well. So we need wise counselors. Their wisdom provides strength and, and strategy. Whether we're building a family or waging a war, they can lead us to victory. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Interestingly, Proverbs never speaks of a single counselor, always a group of counselors. A group of counselors offsets the weaknesses, ignorance, and limitations of each individual. We need more than one voice speaking into our lives to navigate life. About nine months ago, I was invited to sit on the board of a Christian organization. A good number of people encouraged me to do it. I prayed about it. And based on my life and ministry experience, I thought I might be able to contribute something, probably pride. I took the idea to our elders. Within five minutes, they discerned that it was not a good idea for me or for the church. And they were right. Building a church family requires much counsel. That is why every ministry area and every level of church leadership at Willingdon is team-led. We all need the wise counsel of people who walk with God. That is why we all need to be in a discipleship group or a life group and walk with people who know how to navigate life. If we're open... We receive counsel like that contained in this proverb. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So what does that mean for us? The language obviously comes from an agricultural society. Why should we get everything ready for the field before we build our homes? The wisdom of the proverb is this. Establish your source of income, your means of survival, before you invest in building a house to sleep in. Building a house, sustaining its life, consumes income. And don't we parents know it? Don't take on a mortgage if you don't have the income to support it. Don't take on student debt if you have no idea how you will pay your loans. Don't embark on any significant endeavor without prayer, planning, and preparation. Wise planning is pivotal for the survival and well-being of a city, 
a nation, a life, a family, or a church family. Planning requires understanding God's ways and receiving his words to us in season. Sometimes we're at a crossroads and we need the input of others to discern the moment. It's a moment of change. About 10 years ago, I was trying to discern how God might be leading me. Thankfully, I had a team that had worked with me for years, some for 10 years, one team member for 25 years. We participated in something together called Apex to discern how God had been using us, what our gifts were, and where God might be taking us. For me personally, it was a word in season received from the Lord and his people. Who are you walking with? In every phase of life, good planning requires God-given wisdom, an acknowledgement of his sovereign plan, an understanding of his written word, and the counsel of others who follow him. In our planning, we never use evil methods or means to accomplish supposedly good outcomes. In all things, we roll over onto God. He is our foundation. And then finally, point six, we plan with the Spirit. What? Isn't this a contradiction of everything I have said so far? No. Word and Spirit always go together. The emphasis of Scripture is on becoming wise, yes, immersing ourselves in God's revealed word and receiving God's perspective. But we must remember who enables us to receive this wisdom, the Spirit of God. A few scriptures will help us. Jesus said to his first disciples in John chapter 14, verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If we are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides in us and teaches us God's wisdom. In fact, if we have received the Spirit, we have received the mind of Christ. Meditate on that for a minute. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks of a wisdom received from the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges or discerns all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Jesus, the wisdom of God, abides in us by the Spirit, and the Spirit enables us to understand the Scriptures, to know God in His ways. He also gifts us with the mind of Jesus, God's thoughts that are higher than ours. As Paul writes, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. He enables us to plan wisely. What's the good news? Well, God wants us to become wise. He has given us his revealed word. We can know his sovereign plan. He has given us his people to help us. We can walk with wise people. He has given us his spirit who will lead us every step of the way. We can plan no matter what the circumstance with faith and joy. 
I'm going to leave some questions for you to ponder. But before that, I just want to pray with us a prayer based on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, a prayer that Paul prays for the Colossian church. Let's pray. Father, I ask that those who are listening may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they might walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, God. May they be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you, Father, for you have qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are our wisdom. You are at work in us. You are leading us toward wisdom to become wise. We thank you for gifting us with your Spirit to walk in your ways your word, which provides us with guidance every day. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are some questions for you to consider.
At the end of the sermon, I said that Jesus is the wisdom of God. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 22, 25, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our salvation came not through elevated thought and philosophy, but through the crucified Savior, the opposite of our human wisdom. Our salvation came not through human power and military might, but through the crucified Savior, the opposite of our human strength. The cross of Jesus was God's ultimate wisdom. Through the cross, God was able to be both just and the justifier of those who believe, people like us. Through the cross, Jesus was ultimate power, power to defeat our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death itself, without destroying us. Hallelujah. Later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes these words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together. Paul goes on. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup, the blood of Jesus shed for us. Let's partake together. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, for our salvation. You did that out of your deep love for us, your desire to rescue us for yourself, and you did that because of your grace, not because we were worthy. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming and becoming one of us, living among us and revealing the Father to us and going right to, the de to, to your death. You were obedient to the cross. You gave your life 
You died in our place. You took our sin upon ourself, all our infirmities, all our diseases. And you paid the price we could never pay so that we might be forgiven, so that we might become children of God. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family. Jesus, through your death and resurrection, the the veil was torn and the way into the Father's presence was opened for us. And so, Father, we can enter your presence today boldly, courageously as your children. Thank you for this living relationship with you, God. Thank you, Father and Son, for sending your Holy Spirit to abide in us, to empower us for life, to teach us your ways, to lead us into wisdom. And so we're so grateful. Father, may we walk in love for you in all that we do. May we love those who are a part of our church family as you would love them. May we love those beyond our church family, people that we meet every day. God, may we see them as you see them. May we love them with your love. Thank you for your salvation, which is so rich and so free. We owe everything to you. May we live for your glory. In Jesus' name. We continue to read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our sure hope. We're in an interesting moment in history. God has his sovereign hand on us. He's accomplishing his purposes. And we live with the sure hope of Jesus' return when we will see him face to face. So I just pray this blessing over you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.